The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded, the top 25 under 25, and we are at position 8 with Sean Farrell, going up one position from last year, where he was 9th, if I remember. No, he was 10th, so... uh, Correction there, directly out of the gate. I'm joined by <laughs> esteemed colleague and friend, uh, Chris Peters. Uh, awesome for hockey. You should uh, find him also on Twitter with Chris M. Peters. Thank you for joining us an hour late. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, Patrick, it's fine. It's uh, it's always good to talk hockey. It's like, you know, I'm finally uh, accepting, even though we like we never had an offseason this year, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited that the new season is here. Cause I feel like this is going to be the most normal season we've had in the last several. And um, I just can't wait to, to have, you know, kind of get back into the regular rhythm of things. I think we both feel that, you know, you're coming back into the rink, you, you smell the eyes, you hear the crowds, all, all of it. It's, it's more accessible again. And I think, I think it's, it's great in that regard. And, and you can tell from the players as well. It means a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, it's good to see them back like their energy and their excitement really gets me excited as well. Cause I mean, that's what we, that's why we're here. It's what we do and to watch these players grow and flourish. And it's been a tough, it's been a struggle for a lot of them for the last couple of years, uh, whether they've not been on the ice or had long gaps in games. And now they should have a, a pretty normal season here and knock on wood. Right. You know, so, so I think that, uh, I think this is going to be, you know, this is going to, this, this season among the last three, this is really going to feel like the real deal again. Yeah. And uh, really, guys, you you should be following Chris for for updates on prospects and updates on, on uh, the draft um, that's coming up. And, well, I just told Chris that I know that Montreal is going to pick Dvorsky anyway because he's Slovakian <laughs> in the center. So <laughs> we know that, like. Uh, funny fact, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot directly uh, and not talk sure. about Borski, but how far can Mitchkov fall with the Russian factor being extremely high this right now and also the contract that he signed before the whole war with Ukraine? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you look at you look at the teams like Chicago and Arizona and even, you know, and Montreal that are that are in a state of rebuild and that are in a state of um you know, resetting. And it's going to be hard for those teams to justify drafting a player that's not going to be there until, you know, 2026, 27 at the earliest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I would also say that the the teams that that have the luxury of patience, if somebody, you know, wins the lottery and they say, okay, well, we have three or four prospects that we feel are going to be NHL players for the next couple of years. Let's take a chance on Mitchkov. Because you look at the Minnesota Wild waited for how long for Kirill Kaprizov? And he came in and he changed the entire dynamic of that franchise in one season. Um, 
that is the kind of player that I think Mitchkov is. I think he's a genius level hockey player. I've been saying that for the last couple of years that the way he understands offense, the way he plays the game, the confidence that he has and the way that he executes make me believe that he's going to be a, a superstar talent in the NHL. So it'll be interesting to see, like if Chicago finds, you know, they've, they've, they've started kind of their rebuild package. Arizona's got really good players that, that are going to be on the horizon for them soon. Maybe, you know, if, I, I do think Connor Bedard will go number one, but I think if that right team falls at number two, I'd still take Mitch. I, you know, I think I'd still take Mitch Cobb because he is a franchise changing player. Um, but so can Adam, Adam Fantilli can be that as well. And he has less risk and a little bit more of a highly projectable NHL frame and, and other things like that. I don't think that Mitch Cobb will fall outside of the top five, but it would not shock me if he did. And if he did, you know, I, I think if Detroit you're a team that Red has, Wings will take him at number eight as always. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing. If you, if you let him slip far enough, the wrong team's going to get him and you're going to be like, Oh, what did we do? You know, like that's really, that's really where it is. And, and I think in some cases teams are learning now that more patience is better anyway. Um, you saw it with Canarin as well coming over. Yes, late. exactly. You saw it with Especially Caprizov, with those, yeah, they those go in and Russian and, players and are, are, you know, They come in and they deliver directly. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and the other thing that I'll say too is if, if we were going to see the Russian factor really have a significant impact, we would have seen fewer Russians go in the last draft. Mm -hmm. I thought that more went than I expected in the last draft. And that's just because teams are saying this war is not going to last forever. These players are not really responsible for it. We have to prepare for when they're ready to come over. And that's why you see guys like Danilo Yurov and Ivan Roshashenko still go in the first round. Um, and, and so I, I, but I think Mitchkov is, is such a unique talent and such a tremendous hockey player that he won't fall as far as I think we would, would expect somebody with a contract like his and with that Russian factor. I just, I just can't see it because he is such a special player. Indeed, and we're going to talk about another special player here, Sean Farrell. Fantastic year. Let's let's be honest with that. And yeah. the, the the question is, when it comes to to uh, Farrell as well, you know, uh, he played in the Olympics, four games, six six points, ten uh, games in the World Championships, uh, six points again. And let's be honest, U.S. didn't send the best teams in in, in either of those tournaments, uh, as they normally don't do. Uh, But he has really shown that he could match it with the best outside of the NHL anyway. Yeah, you know, I think the the interesting, those were such important moments for us to see, you know, what Sean Farrell can be against professionals because he is small. I mean, you know, he is, he's, he, is a, he is a light, short, you know, five foot nine, under 180 pounds. Um, obviously, he's very fast. And and he thinks the game at a very high level. Um, I was probably more, even though he had that 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 dramatic game against China mm -hmm. in the Olympics where he set records and was just automatic. Um, I thought that having watched him at the World Championship last year, that was a better indication to me of how far, how close, or how far away he is from the NHL. Um, he is always going to have to prove doubters wrong because of the size, but I think that he has shown that his speed and his intelligence are the two factors that will allow him to at least compete for a job. 
I don't think that Sean Farrell is going to enter the NHL and be a superstar player, you know, and, 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 and as you guys have him eighth on, on the list, um, you know, that's an indication of, Hey, you know, that probably will be ultimately, he's going to be kind of that mid tier player for Montreal. But in those particular events, he said, you know, he showed that he's ready for, for that, that transition when it does come, the size won't hold him back as much as you might've expected in his draft year or the year before when he was with the NTDP and kind of playing way down the lineup with that group that included Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and all those guys that, you know, Sean Farrell was kind of that hidden guy on their roster because he was not draft eligible and he was way down their lineup. But, um, you know, we saw obviously with, with, with Chicago and now with Harvard where he was an over a point per game freshman, very difficult to do, even though he was an older freshman. Um, you know, those are, those are really good signs for him. So he's trending in the absolute right direction um, and will continue to be a guy that, that I think, you know, has, has high value within the organization. As you mentioned, yeah, he, he, the, the value within the organization. Um, but I mean, he's also that kind of player that you might have him on the second or third line, but you could easily move him up into the first line in, in special situations or when injuries happen and injuries will happen over a season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the versatility is key. Um, it'll, it's what I think will allow him to remain in the NHL mix and to be, you know, a player that, that can be relied on in a variety of situations. Um, you know, I think that the interesting thing is, is where he, where he ultimately fits is the thing that I still have a hard time getting my arms around with him in particular. It's like, you know, is he a number two? I don't think so. Is he a number three? Maybe. Does he have the size profile to go up and, and play the tough minutes in, in, in key matchup situations? Do you even want him in those situations? Um, and those are the questions that he'll have to continue to answer. But the good thing is, is that these players at this stage of their career should be top six performers. And he is a top six performer. He's a high level scorer at the collegiate level that will allow him to at least, you know, continue to produce the skills that, that are required of a guy that could be in the top six. Um, but, you know, the thing that has always stood out to me about Sean is that he is a smart, smart player and he will find a way. That's the thing that I think is going to be the thing that separates him is he's going to find a way to fit a role, um, to play a tenacious style, to be aggressive, to show no fear, to never get outworked. Um, and those are the things that I think will allow him to potentially be, you know, I think he is like a third line. Is he going to be a center? You know, is he a wing? Mm -hmm. You know, those are the kinds of questions that you, you have to ask as well. Um, you know, I think it's very difficult for guys at his size to play center in the NHL unless they're, a, you know, a Jack Hughes level uh, creator a brain point level skill player. Um, you know, those are the types of guys that you, you see at the center position. So, um, but I still think that he'll be able to impact the game on the wing. If that ends up being where he gets put. Yeah. I, I, you would assume he gets put on that Cole Caulfield's tweet when, when he got, uh, when Farrell was, was picked obviously by Canadians was steel and, and maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit in order to, to, to make a joke with Chicago steel as well. But, but was he a steal at that position? 
I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was a pretty fair position. I had him dra- I had him ranked higher. I had him ranked as a second round prospect, the end of the second round, um, in his, in his draft year. Um, I do think it's a, it's a great value pick. I think it's a very fair, I would say it's a very fair range. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that, you know, I will tend to, we all have our own biases and different things. And he's a player that I had seen, you know, enough over the years to say, I really think he's got a chance to be a, a good player. And he was playing on the steel. And I remember at that time, Sam Colangelo, who ended up getting drafted by Anaheim, was also on the steel. And he was the bigger guy, high skill, um, you know, kind of, and he went earlier. Um, I still think, you know, that having watched those two players side by side and having watched them over the years, I think Sean Farrell gives you more. Um, and so to get a player like that in the fourth round, um, with a development timeline where you don't need him for four years, um, that is a good spot to get him. And I think those college players, um, in general, in that mid range, in that fourth to fifth round, that's the kind of guy that you should be looking at if they're still there, um, because they are, they have longer, you, you have their rights for longer. You don't need to give them the contract right away. Yes, there's a risk that they, they blow up and then they, wait and then you lose him as a free agent but it and it happens but it doesn't happen nearly as commonly as people want to make it out to be yes there might be two to three guys a year there are some times where the team made that decision and the player didn't make that decision they didn't want to sign him so they go somewhere else um so you know i i think that in the range this is a long long answer for a, a really a short question but you know i i do think that in the range that he was at you know i think it was fair i wouldn't say it was an outright larceny um, it was later than I predicted that he would go, um, but I think it was a really good good value pick where they got him. We're, we're coming into to that discussion, which I always favor as well, because always Europeans are are there for four years, and you 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 still have a chance to either let them go or or sign them and and see what they can do in the next three years with an entry level contract. It's that longer progression is that you know should should we do that for the junior teams in in Canada and the US as well i mean yeah it, it seems you know if the ushl guys go since they're all on the college track they basically fall into mm-hmm. that that category um but yeah but I, I i think it's tough to say because the junior leagues you can be in college until you're 25, 26 mm-hmm. years old, the way that it goes in the junior leagues, you're 20. And so the time, the decision timeline has to be faster for those players. It's not necessarily good for the team or for the player because they're those two years that you have their draft rights. And you say, do we have somebody that we could sign? It's it's for a lot of guys that you're drafting in the sixth and seventh round. It's not enough time. Uh but it also allows those players to move on faster because mm-hmm. they have the, the players that go the major junior route, at least at this point, and maybe someday they'll be eligible for the NCAA. We don't know. And that will then create another longer timeline for them to, to, to make it. Um, those players have, have decisions to make and the NHL teams have a responsibility to, to, to basically let them know what kind of decision they're going to have to make. Because if you are a drafted player, that doesn't earn a contract, then you've got to make the next decision. Do I go to the, can I get an AHL deal? Can I get an ECHL deal? 
should I take my education package and go play Canadian university? And those, those are life decisions that are outside of hockey that are with hockey involved that have to be made in pretty short order. So those players will get a very good indication in those two years. So, so it's, it has nothing to do with player development Mm -hmm. because player development would say, yes, keep their, keep their rights for longer. But this is more of like, we also have to be respectful of these kids. They have, they have very few options after hockey is over. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and they have to make sure that if they're, if they need to go take that education package and utilize what they earned by making it in the, in the CHL or, you know, trying their hand at pro hockey, playing their cards, they have 18 months essentially to, to figure out whether or not that's the right thing for them. Um, so I think from a practicality standpoint, I think the rule as it is for Canadian junior players is probably the correct one for, for reasons that have nothing to do with development. Looking at uh, Sean Farrell again, uh, he's really, as you said, trended very well uh, in, in the correct direction. What would you look for first and foremost, in his game to, to develop this year? And second, what would you, what kind of expectations should we as Montreal fans have on this season? Yeah, well, you know, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, his timeline got delayed a, a year. He was supposed to be in college a year sooner than he ended up there because of COVID. He ends up having this insane season and in the USHL, which was good for his confidence and it was good for his um, to allow him to continue to round out his offensive skills, which which was necessary. Um, you know, I think the years before you were saying, oh, he's going to be a pretty good, you know, kind of two-way guy. Maybe he'll pop in some points. Um, the expectation has shifted. Now he has to be a producer. And I think at his size, um, he'll always have to be that secondary scoring kind of guy. Um, while at Harvard, however, the, the situation shifts now where he should be expected to be a top six producer, one of the guys that's leading the team in scoring and somebody that is making a significant impact on their games every single time out. Um, you want to see him kind of raise his level and be a dominant player. He was a very good college player last year. We want to see him take those steps towards being dominant. He doesn't have to dominate this year. It's only his second year of college hockey. Um, but that sophomore season can be a real flashpoint for the very best prospects, whether or not that, you know, and he's a year later, so it should be even more so for him. Um, you know, I think that the other thing is just continuing to get stronger, making sure that, you know, there's a sturdiness to his frame where he doesn't lose the speed that he has, but that he can handle himself physically in the corners. Um, college hockey has been very good for those players to allow that to, to kind of happen. Um, you know, there are some guys that never really tack on the strength and weight like a Johnny Goudreau. Um, but they have such elite, immense talent. It doesn't really matter. Sean Farrell's not going to be in that category. He's going to have to be somebody that gets stronger, that can be more of that Cam Atkinson style where, you know, he doesn't score goals like Cam Atkinson did, but Cam Atkinson was smaller. He got really strong. He's a bowling ball. It's unbelievable to kind of, you know, he's really, um, you know, sturdy. Uh, Sean Farrell needs to create more of that sturdiness. So I, I think for Sean, this season is is one where, you know, Harvard's going to have a very good team. They're going to have, you know, him and Matt Coronado back. That's a, a very terrifying, um, you know, group of players for, for, for opposing teams to go up against. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do as, as a group. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of drafted talent on that roster. Um, and that season that they lost really set them back in terms of, you know, where they were going, but, and, and Nick Abrazizi is not there anymore to, to kind of really drive things offensively. So that's now up to Sean Farrell and Matt Coronado to be the offensive drivers 
of this team. So it's taking a leadership role, taking the next step. That's what I think Sean Farrell needs to do. And the expectations from Montreal fans, what would be realistic? I mean, I think that this is another step in his development. I don't think that he's going to be a guy, you know, perhaps after this season, it'll be Montreal will be motivated to sign him. I would not say that that's a 100% certainty at this point. Um, so I would say that the, the expectation for, for Montreal fans is that he takes another step towards being a pro um, with all the strength and everything else. And that if, you know, if he has a breakout season and I do think that he, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility a 40 point season comes his way here in his sophomore season. And then all of a sudden you're, that's when you start thinking, okay, maybe it's time. Um, so I think you want to, basically you want to make him put the, the Habs in a position where they feel like they have to sign him. Um, or that they feel he's ready to be signed. Doesn't mean that he should sign a contract. He doesn't have to sign a contract. He can, they'll still have his rights for another year. Um, the Harvard guys always tend to stay longer unless they have an opportunity that's more immediate. And I don't know that Sean Farrell is going to be ready to step into an NHL roster spot next season. So the season after this, this upcoming season, not sure that's going to happen. And if it isn't, He more, he more than likely stays at Harvard another year, which is fine. And I, and I think he's progressing just perfectly. Great to hear. We got some really good insights from Chris Peters. You find him on Twitter, Chris M. Peters. You find him on, you have a, still have a Substack, right? No, I'm, I'm now, uh, so flowhockey.tv is where all my content will be from, from here on out. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, got a new new gig going and got a lot of fun things to happen so definitely check out flowhockey.tv indeed do that and uh chris thank you again for stepping up on short notice and uh, we really appreciate you having you on and uh, i'll try to make sure you're on a, a little bit more this year than last year <laughs> sounds good all right thanks a lot patrick we'll talk to you soon bud cheers You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.